Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Buckeye Talk, it's the Wednesday pod. It's the Alabama preview. We got Michael Casagrande, beat writer from AL.com. He's been on the pod before, longtime writer down there. He's going to be on in the second half. He and I went through Alabama for about half an hour on Tuesday. We did it before the announcement Tuesday evening that just came down that Devontae Smith, no surprise, won the Heisman Trophy. This sets up the opportunity for Ohio State in 2020 to beat the top three in the Heisman race on the way to a national championship, just like they did back in 2014 when they beat Melvin Gordon, Amari Cooper, and Marcus Mariota. This time it's Trevor Lawrence. And now Devontae Smith finished first. Lawrence, who got vanquished, finished second. Mac Jones finished third. Nathan Baird is here because we got to talk about the news of the day. News of the day. A lot of hot stuff happening with Ohio State. Nathan was on top of it, um, keeping up with the news. And this is something that has a chance to change what is happening with the national championship game. And obviously we are talking about the Twitter account of Nick Saban's daughter. Wa-la-la, wowza. What is going on there? Now, this is nothing new. Anyone who uh, was on the internet or on Twitter during the Urban Meyer era at Ohio State was aware that uh, his wife, Shelly, and his daughters, Nikki and Gigi, uh, were not shy about expressing their opinions about things on Twitter. This is something I, I don't know. I mean, if, 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 if you said Ohio state and Alabama were playing and maybe someone in Urban Meyer family said something about the game, that wouldn't be a shock. I don't think Nathan, I don't think RJ day or uh, Ryan's two daughters. I don't think they have Twitter accounts yet. So that is edge Ohio state when the head coach's kids can't get on Twitter. Is it not? Oh, I think a hundred percent. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, why? Like, I don't, I just don't understand why, why this is even happening at this point. And, and, uh, I, I don't know how you don't put out the call to, to your, your people close to you and say, just don't make this situation worse. Like why, why make this situation worse? Um, but I will say, I will say a lot of uh, in Ohio state fans who reacted incredulously to the fact that she would suggest that Ohio State was exaggerating its COVID testing, were, I think many of them, the same people 
who suggested that another team might have been suggest uh, exaggerating its COVID testing earlier this season to try to get out of a game. So, uh, you know, come about is fair play. Yeah, but if they're not related to the coach, then it's not the same thing. Fans Very can true. do whatever they want to do. When your dad is the coach, you are not a fan. You are part of the royal family. And so when you tweet things like, if you're not confident to play, then say it, say it in all caps, I call BS on the COVID cases. They're just worried about their QB and want him to have more time to heal. If he's hurt, put in your backup. You don't see us postpone the rest of the season to wait for Waddle. Bye. Like, this is not, this is not like, this is not like, oh, like, oh, Ohio State. I want, I mean, this is like hot. This is like hot. Like, what? I don't even know. Like, what, what is she so hot about? It's like, okay, Ohio State, which has battled COVID all year, is battling COVID again. And she comes out hot. And it's crazy because it's Nick Saban's daughter. I just want, I don't let my kids watch the Kardashians because I don't like reality shows that the only reason people are famous is because they're famous, right? But I want the Nick Saban family reality show. I want like the Ozzy Osbourne show. What was the thing? My mom used to watch the Ozzy Osbourne show when that was a reality show. And they would throw ham over the fence at the neighbor and everybody was crazy. And Ozzy Osbourne was like, oh, what's happening? And then the kids would run around and be crazy. And the wife was like, Ozzy, what are you doing? That's the show I want where Nick Saban is Ozzy Osbourne. Like, what? What's going on? And the kids are nuts. Because what is this? And they're not home. And she's a grown woman. What is this? What is this dinner table conversation like? It's Nick Saban. He's like the most straight-laced coach in the history of coaching. And his daughter is absolutely shooting fire. I think my favorite part of the tweet, too, was like, you didn't see us shutting down the season to bring back uh, Jalen Waddle. You know who else would have a better chance of playing in this national championship game if they moved it back a week? Jalen Waddle. Like, he's trying to play right now. They don't know if he's going to be able to. It potentially helps Alabama if they move this game back a week. So then she came out with the apology, which is the my dad called me apology. (laughs) She tweets, I'm so sorry. And this is the message she put out. The tweet I posted earlier this evening was uncalled for and hurtful. I made a huge mistake and I apologize. In a moment of frustration, I let my anger get the best of me and acted before thinking. I sincerely regret my choice of reckless words. In no way did I intend to undermine the seriousness of the global pandemic and my heart goes out to those it has affected. The health and safety of others is first and foremost and I pray that we all can find peace soon. I am ashamed and embarrassed. I hope you can forgive me. So then people were saying like, oh, dad got to her and she was like no 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 she was like no i realized it i'm trying to find the thing here she said like i realized it as soon as i sent it this was not my dad making me do this but i will also tell you these are some of the other things she tweeted after the initial tweet when she was replying to people she tweeted okay so someone said i hope you're sincere she said i truly am and then uh, someone said, I, I, I hope she's apologizing because she feels sorry. And she says, trust me, I realized quickly what I did. I apologize because I wanted to. But in the meantime, she was firing out. Someone said, didn't take daddy long to get a hold of her. And she replied, he didn't. I realized it right away. But also in the meantime, she was tweeting things 
like uh, someone said, everyone up in Ohio saw your tweet. And she replied to that person and said, good. Someone else said, uh, screen after she deleted the tweet, they said, screenshots live forever, Kristen. And she replied, I literally don't care. LOL. Someone else tweeted, uh, let's see, you tweeted what? And she replied, you're damn right I did. So she tweeted it. And then she was responding to people doubling down on it. And then she tweeted an apology that said, I realized it as soon as I said it, that it was wrong. I am dying. I am dying. The only thing that could make this better was if she was Dabo Sweeney's daughter instead of Nick Saban's. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I, or, or Dabo himself. Um, oh, yeah. He, he doesn't oh. seem like a Twitter guy. Oh, God. I just I'm so I. Oh, a chortle. We needed a chortle. And then, of course, Cardale Jones got a hold of the thing about her saying, play your backup. And he's like, oh, did someone say backup? It's like the backup (laughs) signal goes out and it's it's 12 gauge up on the signal. It's like, wow, Cardale is here. Someone said backup quarterback in Alabama. What a day. What can he be thinking? I don't know if she is like a loose cannon. Now I want to do a story on it. I want, wouldn't it be a great story about the loose cannon families of button-downed head coaches? Who wouldn't read that? Off-season project. What is Nick Saban thinking right now, Nathan? What could he be thinking about his daughter writing this stuff? I think he's probably actually not thinking about it that much. I think he's got a team to coach. I think he's got the, this whatever situation hanging in front of him. And um, it, it's probably only a headache if someone asks him about it. And I don't know who is going to come up and ask him about it at, at Alabama. So uh, I actually think that maybe it's uh, it's something he'll do with later. I don't know if it's a big problem for him today. It's just- something that it, it's, it's something that like we're very wrapped up in because we don't have to coach a football team right now, but don't I think, know, don't you think Ohio state's wrapped up in it? You don't think this is, this is the closest thing that Bama's going to get to number 11. I mean, yeah, you yeah, no, no, I mean, that Saban had him right. Like, OK, I mean, that's I, I know you were saying, you know, whatever. This is a thing. This is her accusing Ohio State of dodging Bama and hiding behind COVID. Right. But I, I know what you're saying before about the difference between a fan and the coach's daughter. But there's also a difference between the coach's daughter and the coach. Oh, but to Ohio State, they think it may as well have been Nick Saban said this to her when they were getting ice cream and she went to Twitter and regurgitated the whole thing. Well, now that's, that's the interesting part of it though, is because is because I, it does, there is that kind of um, underneath all of this is what information is she getting? How much does she know? What is she hearing? Who is she hearing it from? That all kind of feeds into this too. It's not just that she is seeing uh, reports on the internet, obviously, right? She's hearing something else. So where is this opinion coming from? But where does anyone think it's coming from? It doesn't even matter where it's actually coming from. Everyone thinks she's saying what her dad thinks. That's what this is, of course. That's the whole point. This is like Nick Saban's spokesperson, his his loose cannon daughter. Ohio State is hiding behind COVID because they're trying to avoid playing Bamba right away. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It's if I just it's not if if ranking Ohio State 11th was 100 on a scale of one to 100 of bulletin board material. This is like, I think, like a 58. But I mean, normally, I don't know. I mean, Nick Saban's out there giving out 12s, man. Nick Saban doesn't want anyone giving out a 58. And his daughter just popped off and did it. 
Well, so and I- that, again, like we talked to Nick Saban, we talked to two Alabama players on Monday, and they were uh, perfectly fine gentlemen, but they were boring. Like they didn't say anything anywhere close. And I know Dabo was asked about something that had already happened, but then he doubled down on it. So like he clearly was like not going to, he didn't really care whether he was giving Ohio State bulletin board material. I feel like Alabama handles itself a little bit differently. Similarly, frankly, to how Ohio State handles itself. You know, Ryan Day doesn't really, other than the shade he threw at them last week about the sign stealing, doesn't really get mixed up in that stuff very much. Um, we, we talked before about that, how it, it sometimes it would be fun if they did a little bit more. But this is why. And you know, this is why for all of you who think that there was some kind of shenanigans with uh, Michigan canceling that game or having to cancel that game. This is why Ohio State, Ryan Day, Gene Smith, why they didn't come out and like say crap about Michigan. Because it, you get covered in it. It's a thing. I think it's a thing. It's not number eleven, but it, but it's a thing. It's gonna like it's it's just stoking the fire a little bit. I just love the idea that she 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 texted she tweeted it and then she came back and said, "I realized my mistake as soon as it happened." But in the meantime, she was responding to Ohio State fans saying, "You're damn right, I did." <laughs> She's crazy. She's cr- Nick Saban has a crazy daughter. I didn't know. Not crazy. Like I, I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying. Like, like uh, fun loving is what I mean. Like, just you know, she's a she's a free spirit. She's just a little. You know, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. What else happened uh, on Tuesday? Anything else happened? Oh well, yeah, the game. The, the game might get canceled. Of oh, oh, the game. The game. Yeah. Oh, the game might not get played on Monday. What do we know about that, Nathan Baird? Uh, of course, I wanted to spend 14 minutes on the tweets because, you know, the game might get postponed. What do we know? Well, obviously, as our texters know, because they've been reaching out to us, and I had texted them earlier on Tuesday to say, listen, we've heard rumors of a possible uh, player testing positive or multiple players testing positive hadn't heard anything like it was going to be a big outbreak, but we'd heard a couple of players maybe testing positive. And I think it's fair to say at this point, because of the circumstances we had heard defensive linemen had, may have tested positive. Um, I'm not going to name who we've heard because it kind of just keeping with our usual protocol on that. Um, we'll wait until that can be better confirmed. I don't, I don't want to go down that road, but the multiple defensive linemen might. So then on top of the ones they were already missing, you can see where that could potentially create a, a problem at where you get a, a big glut of them at one position group. That's something Ohio state has by and large avoided during this process, I guess, other than when they had three starting offensive linemen out against Michigan state and still were able to go out and play that game though. But by and large, it's been a guy here, a guy there. They haven't been a big glut of them at any one position group. If that becomes an issue, then that's where I think the college football playoff already has some mechanisms in place to take care of that. I actually have um, Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated uh, just tweeted this out. So, but, but before I get ahead of myself, so AL.com, our colleagues down there had reported what we had been hearing and hadn't been able to like confirm, but that there were talks that had taken place between Ohio state and the other, I guess, what did they call them? Like the key um, entities in this that, I mean, it's Ohio state, Alabama and TV. Those right. are the entities and, and the player and, and CFP, which is TV, which basically. is TV. Yeah. Yeah. That there might have to push back the game or that that was at least something that had been broached in conversations because of, a, a spike in one position group. And Pat Forty tonight said, per his sources, the, the CFP management committee weeks ago established uh, player thresholds for the playoff games, which is 53 total players 
and then various position groups, but four defensive linemen. So I can't tell if that means, I assume that means you have to have at least four defensive linemen. Not because four, four defensive, defensive linemen, linemen play at a time. The threshold's not two defensive linemen. Well, okay, but they say, okay, but they have like seven offensive linemen. So it's not like just getting down to five offensive linemen. You know what I'm saying? Like there is it, 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 like only one quarterback. You have to have at least one quarterback. But if you have one quarterback, I guess they make you play the game. But so anyway, Ohio State has, I think, 15 or 16 scholarship defensive linemen. So it would take a lot for them to get all the way down to four. So I, I don't know how I, – I, I, my assumption here, as I tweeted out to people, texted out to our texters, um, is that Ohio State made some contacts because it has had this spike, and maybe it is affecting one position group, but it would take more tests later this week to push it to the ceiling or to past the point where you would have to maybe postpone the game. So here's the thing, and you were texting with Gene. Here, that's, that's, I think, the thing that matters. A, Ohio State, when it had to cancel a game for its own COVID cases this year, canceled it the night before the game because more tests were positive that afternoon. Right. So, of course, it still could be canceled. I mean, one of the things of like, well, anything could still happen. Well, that's just like the thing that you say every day during COVID when you're trying to play sports. Anything could happen. Well, yeah, there could be more tests later. So that is not that informative because, of course – we all know that. But the other thing is that Ohio State is very like vociferously saying like we are on track. So the thing that would be like the thing that's like if you were already off track and I I will say that there's a texter who had reached out to us a couple days ago. And it's one of these things. And, and I'm not making excuses like AL.com got it. They, they put some stuff out there. Other people are out there putting stuff out there and we are. A little, we just are making sure on stuff, and sometimes our sources don't have the same things that these people are saying. I just did you guys see the thing? I tweeted the thing about how a uh, guy did like a thing about how podcasts just talk for like two minutes and just don't say anything because all they talk about is how they're going to talk about something. It got a little too real for me watching that video. So the thing is this they're on track now, which is good, but. It also is kind of good that they're not going to play with a skeleton crew because the Browns are going through this right now. But the NFL is like sort of we are playing no matter what, basically. If you have if you have to pull people off the street, we're playing the playoff. They're at the point where they don't I mean, they're not going to make a team play if the competitive balance is so off. It ruins the product because now this is a TV product. And this person had reached out a couple days ago and said they heard something because maybe they might've heard something secondhand from somebody through TV. So I reached out to somebody today that I know a little bit um, who's involved on that side of things. And the word I got from them was that this was maybe a little more of a rumor on the TV side a couple days ago that like, Hey, it sounds like this thing maybe could get pushed back. And that has a little bit like sort of fizzled a little bit since then. So that if there was a moment where it was like, Oh, like maybe the day that the first positives came in for Ohio state and Ohio state, they're keeping people informed. And that's the thing when you keep people informed and you're not secretive, then stuff leaks because Ohio state tells the playoff committee and the ESPN people and the big 10 and the sec and Alabama. So now I got six group of groups of people that know Ohio state had some positive tests and now it might get out better. So the idea that it got out through Alabama is not a surprise because Ohio state might be trying to be a little more like, listen, we don't really want to talk about this. And Alabama's like, Hey, did you hear Ohio state's got a bunch of tests. They're trying to dodge us and they'll tell people also the AL.com guys are tremendous reporters. 
but there's, I think almost Nathan, and I don't, this is not to imply that Ohio state is trying to push the game back, but this is not even a Justin Fields perspective. The idea of like, Hey, Justin Fields took a big shot. We don't know what the deal is. Well, we got to look into that a little bit, just how all this came down. And once the season's over, what was the actual like physical stuff that Justin Fields had to deal with? But if the idea is like, Hey, if they have a couple positives right now of important guys, would you rather fight through and play with the backups or have it postponed? And maybe those guys could be ready. Like, well, you'd take that, you know, that like it almost reaches a threshold where it might be better for Ohio state. It's like one of those things that's for example, this is completely made up numbers. I'm not even going to do it because if I throw out numbers, they might get. So if, if there's a number of cases, that's X and there's with at X you can play, but at X plus three, you get postponed, right? There might be a point where actually for Ohio State, X plus three might be better than X because X plus three might get you to a point where you have more players when you actually do plays. Would that make sense to you? Um, if you're talking about actual positive tests, no. Because right now, anybody who tested positive since the semifinal isn't playing in the national championship game no matter when they play it. You're, you're going to still be within that 17 days. You can't play. So right now, I think to me, it's more a matter of is the number that you have bad and then you can maybe get the – if you postpone a week, you're only getting, in Ohio State's case, if it is this position group we're thinking of, you're getting one, maybe two guys back who were gone before. You're not getting four, five, six. So that's the other problem here as far as like – I don't know, problem. But like the reason why I, I don't think this could is going to result in – a postponement, if you're talking about just in terms of these numbers, is that Ohio State can't get that many back by pushing back another week, just based on what we know about the current protocols, right? So pushing back, yeah, I guess pushing back only gets the guys who already were positive. And we don't know if they were positive, but Zach Harrison missed the Clemson game, not due to injury that we know about. So we are operating under the assumption that that would maybe be a guy that could come back if it got postponed, but maybe probably can't come back if it is on Monday as normal. But that's that's one. And then Tyler Friday also didn't play. He also didn't play in the Big Ten Championship game. But we believe we saw him on the sideline at the Big Ten Championship game. So he may that may just be an injury situation. We don't know that that was a COVID related situation. So if he is still injured or he may be he may be eligible to come back this week. We don't know. But it, it kind of gets I think what makes the most sense to me is Ohio State had some tests. They reached out and told these people about it. Because you have to go through contact tracing and you have to kind of wait in the coming days to keep doing your testing and see if any of the people that they were in contact with, that they were around, if you start getting tests pop up there. Because who are they most likely to have tests pop up with? It'd be other players at that same position. So I think that a lot of this has probably come from Ohio State, again, maybe just being prudent and letting people know that an issue could be there and then finding out as things go along that I'm not saying that missing guys, if they're contributing important guys isn't going to be an issue, but that it won't be a, a, an outbreak that takes out the whole position group. But your point in the end is like, what's the point to some degree, what's the point of postponing because you're not going to postpone it to the, to the effect that the people currently newly testing positive will be able to return. The reason you might postpone is if you have an outbreak and like, you've got to stop practicing because you've got to get the outbreak under control. And so Correct. that's why you postpone, get the outbreak under control, but you're still going to, not have the guys who are the newly positive tests anyway. But again, there, it, it sounds like, again, by Pat Forty's 
in reporting, you'd have to get down to 53 total players. Ohio State's already had now between what they had over the summer and then what they've had over the last six weeks. You're starting to get up to a pretty decent chunk of guys on this roster that have been exposed to this, right? Have probably tested positive already. So it would the, 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 the number that you'd have to have to get all the way back down to 53 among players who haven't already had it, I think is pretty significant. And then again, to get down to four defensive linemen from where they stand today, um, again, you'd have to be putting like true freshman and retro freshman out there who haven't played very much, but you have them on the roster. So to get all the way down to four, I think would take, a, again, a pretty big outbreak at that position. And we don't know exactly. I don't want to say things. I don't want to say things that I don't know about. Well, then why am I on a podcast? Buckeye talk. The I could see, I mean, ESPN doesn't want to put a team out there that can't compete. Correct. So it's like, okay, well, the CFP rule says as long as you have four defensive linemen, you can play. It's like, all right, with well, six. And we're we have, missing, yeah, we have six we're missing nine there. of the top 11. And we we're going to play? Right. Like, what's the point? Like, why, I, why can't we? And then maybe, I don't know, like, would there be a point that you could have such an outbreak that you would postpone long enough that those guys could be back? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But the, and this was a point that was made to me again. It's like, you're at the point now where it's only two teams affected. You're you are striving for competitive balance because who wants to get to this point? I mean, the Which Browns are going integrity. Through, yeah, the right. The Browns are going through it right now, but they're not going to stop the whole playoffs for one team because they've got to push through. You're only down to two teams. So if you reach a point where it's like the competitive integrity is shot and this game is going to stink and going to feel fake, right? Then they ha- it's their decision. And like, this is where the part comes in. Like who's in charge? Nobody's in charge, which means you can do whatever you want. Like in the NFL, it's like, oh, we have a player's union. You have the commissioner, you have the owners. It's like, who's in charge here? The TV people are in charge because the playoff, the playoff is in charge, but the TV runs the playoff. And so if TV says, ah, we'll see on February 1st, stay hot. What are they going to do? Is Alabama going to forfeit? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I think there is a threshold where, to me, it becomes much more likely that you end up in a significant postponement in the name of competitive integrity than you end up putting an Ohio State team on the field that does not look like Ohio State, which is the greatest fear of fans. The number one fear is the health and safety of the amateur players involved, of course. But from the competitive integrity standpoint, it's the idea of we're so decimated, we're not us. And that I don't think will happen. I don't. I think they would do whatever they have to do to make sure that's not the case. Because why would, Nathan, why would you fight through and play this whole season to have a a jacked up national title game? Right? Let's do what we can to have it it be real. Yeah, I guess then it just becomes, then it's it's, it's an argument of what does that look like then? Like how many players out and which players out does that, constitutes that you know what i mean and then and then who makes that call the tv people make the call the guy in charge of espn makes it and says oh ohio state's missing 18 of its 25 best players we're not playing until they're back that's the call well yeah i think yeah obviously i think that 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 but if you're getting 18 people out again at this point then you probably are reaching some of these thresholds on on some of these position groups no, I know. Now we're getting into the theoretical. But also it's one right. of those things because the whole thing along the way has been, well, it doesn't matter who it is. It's a matter how many. It's like, okay, ESPN can decide it does matter who it is. And this is, I think, one reason why the, the CFP committee, uh, the executive director, those guys have not 
given us a lot of specificity on how they would handle some of these situations because they want this flexibility. They want to be able to say, yeah, we, if we want to move the Rose bowl on the day of the selection show, we can do that. If we want to decide uh, on Thursday of this week that um, Ohio state missing X out of X at a position group means we push the game back a week, then we'll decide that like they have all the power. They have all the leverage. They get to kind of do whatever they want to do. And like you say, I mean, Alabama can object, but um <laughs> the, 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 either you're going to play the game or you're not. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we know. But uh, I, you know, that's what we know, and that's what we think. So we'll see. So it's a good time to try the text six one four three five zero three three one five, and you can get this stuff as it, as it pops. We let you know what's going on. Um, I voted Trevor Lawrence, Devontae Smith, Mac Jones on my ballot. Um, we talked about that before, but I was talking theoretically, so I don't get my ballot revoked. Now I'm actually telling you. And um, I think that's all. I can't believe it. I can't. I can't believe it. All I want to do is I just want one camera in Nick Saban's house. One camera. Um, okay. So Michael Casagrande from AL.com. Again, if you're an Ohio State fan who wants to know what's going on with the Alabama side of things. Although Mike, Mike and I were talking, and it's like, Hey, could we do some crossover stuff? And it was like, well, and Nathan, you kind of said this before too. It's like, it's all the same interviews. So it's yeah. like, Oh, Hey, they're writing a story about, uh, you know, Alex Leatherwood. And it's like, well, he, we heard him say the same stuff, you know, like what do you, what, you know, so it's just a weird situation. So um, I don't, not sure we'll do a ton of crossover stuff other than what is coming up right now. Michael Casagrande talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide here on Buckeye Talk. Joined on Buckeye Talk by Michael Casagrande, the extremely veteran, friendly, friendly, intelligent, handsome, (laughs) Alabama beat writer for AL.com. Michael, we, uh, we did some crossover stuff six years ago at the Sugar Bowl when Ohio State and Alabama played, and now, uh, here we are again, but this is just this is just your deal. It was probably weird for you last year to not cover the playoff, right? Because that was the only time Ohio that Alabama hasn't been in it. Must have been weird. Yeah, last year. It was, but I, I did go down and cover the championship game, and because it was in New Orleans, and there was a lot of Alabama crossover. So, um, so yes, I, I guess I've touched a piece of each of the the seven playoffs at this point. Look at you. You're just a championship kind of guy. All right, let's talk about this game. The thing that I think is most helpful for Ohio State fans is trying to put this Alabama team in context of the last Alabama team that Ohio state saw. And so that's what I'm most curious about specifically for this audience. So uh, off the top to me, again, all my questions are from uh, a ding dong from afar who knows very little about Alabama to me, Blake Sims in 2014 must be the worst quarterback of the Saban modern era. I don't know. I mean, I know that they won titles previously with, AJ McCarron and what Greg McElroy and guys like that who weren't exactly superstars, but but that he he just seemed functional to me. And now this team has Mac Jones who is setting it on fire. How would you describe the difference between the quarterback play for Alabama six years ago playing Ohio State and the way Mac Jones is playing now? And if I'm wrong about about Blake Sims, just say Doug. My God, you idiot. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's different. I mean it's evolved. They were they were still early in kind of the evolution of trying to join the the modern age of football uh, in 2014. Uh, Lane Kiffin's first year uh, as Alabama's offensive coordinator. So uh, yeah, I mean Blake Sims is, is 
was more of a hybrid uh, quarterback, more of the dual threat. He could throw the deep ball, and that was kind of what he did to 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 Mari Cooper was kind of the big play there. Um, but I mean, Mac Jones is more of um, the traditional style quarterback. Um, he's you know he's into the offense. He's been you know like Blake Sims had been there for three four years. Same thing. Uh, this is fourth year for Mac Jones. Um, he's a really sharp guy. Um, he's been in the playbook. He knows the offense. He knows everything about the offense. He's been through a couple of different coordinators um, on his third one, um, but the second year was Sarkeesian. So I think they're pretty much on sync. Uh, a lot of the veterans in the passing game, his targets are, are veterans. So um, they, they all, they're all pretty much on the same page. So I think that's it's uh, where that was more of a, a a big play, you know, Blake Sims trying to look for the big pass to, to Mari Cooper. This is a little bit more surgical uh, and more um, strategic probably uh, in what they're able to do with, with the different pieces. All right. You mentioned the, the weapons that he has around him, obviously. Devontae Smith, uh, is this – again, Amari Cooper is a very tangible comparison for Ohio State fans – is Devonte Smith the best Alabama receiver that you've seen in your time covering the team, or or how does he compare to a guy like Amari Cooper, who was awesome? Yeah, no, it's it's a very interesting debate, and we've had this discussion, and it's probably going to be written after the season's over to where does his place in Alabama receiving history or just this era? Um, because you have Amari Cooper, and you also have Julio Jones, um, who, uh, you know, is obviously one of the best receivers in the world and one of the best of this era in the NFL. Uh, you wonder what he could have done in an offense that had a more of a passing, you know, he was with Greg McElroy. You have a quarterback who's more dynamic and can do more in his open offenses as opposed to that was more of a ground and pound, give it to Mark Ingram, give it to Trent Richardson kind of offense. And Julio wasn't really the showpiece. So it's, it's a very interesting discussion. I, I think that Devontae is the most decorated. He has the most iconic moment of this era arguably singular moment in Alabama football history with the second and 26 overtime touchdown catch. But um, he's kind of also always been overlooked the whole time he's been here. He's always been kind of the, the guy after the comma with Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs. Even the start of the year, Jalen Waddle was the receiver that everyone's saying could be that guy who wins the Heisman people, you know, he wasn't even considered the best or the most explosive or dangerous receiver on this team before Waddle goes down with the ankle injury. So he's a really interesting study in contrast of a guy who is probably going to be the first Heisman Trophy winner as receiver in three decades. But is he even the best receiver on the team or even the best receiver, you know, in this era? It's it's an interesting debate. Um, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the most impressive physically. When you look at him, you're kind of surprised that this guy could be what he is. But it's a debate. It's a discussion. And it's something, you know, I don't know if there's a right, wrong answer, but he's, he's right up there. So why can't people cover him? I would just put six guys on him. It's like, you're watching, you're watching the Notre Dame game. And it's like, okay, well, this is Devonte Smith. He's going to win the Heisman. It's like, cover this guy. And then here he is like getting over open across the middle of the field. Like what, what is it that he has continued to be so effective no, while everyone knows, like this guy, this guy, I'll kill you. I know Ohio State's not going to stop him, but but why has nobody really been able to handle him so far? I think it's partially the the other weapons, the having a Najee Harris coming out of the backfield, the different 
guys, uh, the emergence of Julio Billingsley at tight end, that there are guys that you have to keep tabs on that it's harder to just where Amari Cooper's year, he was pretty much the best receiver and not the only receiver, but he was the only guy who was, you know, an NFL talent in that group. And there are multiple guys in the passing game who can, can do things. I mean, I was wondering the same thing when Jalen Waddle went out for the season that if he, without him, are they going to be able to, it, without that balance, are, are people going to just be able to to blanket Devonte and and he's actually done better. Uh, you know, he, he's. I mean, obviously, he's got more yardage because it's not as distributed as much, but uh, he hasn't seemed to have been um, plagued by any. You know, nobody's really stopped him. Um, Arkansas, he had fewer numbers because I don't think they were really. They were just kind of trying to get through that game, um, but yeah, really, no one good defenses, bad defenses, no one's really been able to. Stop him. I know AL.com has reported this week that Jalen Waddell is expected to return to practice. I mean, it's amazing to think about is where are you, Michael, just at all on the idea of is it is it even possible that Jalen Waddell could somehow factor into this game in any way? And beyond that, for again, for Ohio State fans who didn't experience it, what was it like early in the season when Waddell was healthy with this passing game? How, how much does he raise the level of it when it's like, OK, well, Again, as you said, Devontae Smith's going to win the Heisman and Jalen Waddles probably might be better than him. Yeah. No, I mean, how likely is it? I don't know. It's interesting. It's like, I mean, as initially said, it was a season-ending injury and, you know, he's like a top draft pick and why would he even try to do it? But I guess he's been very set on trying to get back for a playoff or a championship game. Um, he, hadn't practiced, he hadn't practiced up until this week. So um, he's been running. He's been doing different drills. Um you know, is it one of those things where they're, you know, the information warfare of this kind of situation is always a thing, you know, to have to prepare for more than what you might see. You know, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't doubt any percentage chance of that being the case. I, I, it's a good question. And it's, it's the kind of thing where we can't see practice anymore. We can't go and watch, uh, at least for the season, there's no viewing periods there's, and there's no you know, evidence that we can see with our own eyes. So it's kind of, it's, it's a good question. Um, but yeah, when, when both of those guys were out there, it was, I mean, it was wild to see some of the, the water was, was just fun to watch. I mean, Devonte is pretty, I mean, he's good and he's, I, I don't know how to explain it, but Waddle's just kind of like, he's just electric. He's, he's smaller. He can, he can jump, you know, you can throw up jump balls to, you know, one of the shorter receivers out there. He's, faster than anybody um Waddle or Devontae Smith kind of has like the different tools he's got he's got a little bit of everything where he's got I think the best hands but he's a, a precise route runner he's fast but he's not as fast as Waddle who can just take off everyone mis- underestimates his speed and he's just so hard in the open field you know you, you get in the ball and you can throw it to him in, in a range of areas and he can go and get it and you don't really expect that for a guy his size so um I, I thought it was just a shame for people that he would have been such a fun player to watch a full season um, where he's been kind of, you know, not the, he's been very good, but he's been overshadowed like Smith by Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, that whole group of receivers they had last year in the last two years. So, um, and if he is back there, if he is playing on, on Monday, how effective would he be as, you know, a speed guy coming off of a ankle foot injury? So it's a lot of questions that I, I think, will make things interesting for Monday. All right. Najee Harris, Ohio State fans saw 
TJ Yeldon and Derrick Henry really saw Derrick Henry in that 2014 game before Henry really exploded the next year. But everyone saw the hurdle. Um, Najee Harris is a guy. I think he he was on Ohio State's radar a little bit in recruiting, and people remember him. Ohio State trying to get him and not getting him. Um, what level are we talking about? Again, we're used to seeing great Alabama running backs. Where is this guy? in the mix. I would imagine maybe he's not quite Derrick Henry who just mm-hmm. ran for 2000 yards in the NFL, but where is he comparatively? Yeah. I mean, he's kind of like a combination of guys where he's, he's tall, but he's not Derrick Henry tall. Um, he's an impressive size. He's got good speed, but he's not like, he's not yelled in. He's not some of these guys who are just pure speed guys. I mean, he's, he's, he's a little bit of everything. He's got really good hands. He's very good catching passes out of the backfield. He's they've, you know, use him in passing plays that are not just, swing routes, dump off, you know, he runs actual routes. He caught a touchdown split out wide um, in Florida against Florida in the SEC championship game. So he can do a little bit of everything. Um, was the number one running back recruit was one of the top recruits in the country coming to Alabama. And I think Michigan was the other school um, that was, that was going for him. There's a lot of mystery around his recruitment because he wasn't big on talking about it and, no one was really sure he got on an airplane and no one was sure really where he was going to land. We had video guy at the airport waiting, you know, for a flight coming from the West West coast and got video of him. That was kind of the first time we were hundred percent sure that he was going to enroll early in that January before one of the championship games. So he's an interesting guy, um, dynamic, uh, and, you know, has had a great season. It's been, been overshadowed, by you know the other guys but you know finished fifth in the Heisman voting so you know he's he's up there so I think the one thing that Ohio State fans certainly would remember from the 2014 game is that it felt like I mean everybody remembers this maybe Lane Kiffin got away from the run game maybe the you give the ball to Derrick Henry a little bit more maybe that game goes a little bit differently for Alabama Steve Sarkeesian just got the Texas job based on calling plays in this Alabama offense how good has Steve Sarkeesian been at putting all this together and and designing an offense that can take advantage of all this talent. And I guess the question is like, is are, would we, is there any chance we come out of this national championship game saying like, Oh man, if only Steve Sarkeesian had called a better game, Alabama might have won. Or is it like, is there just the utmost faith in what Sark has done this year? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a complicated question because Alabama has a mixed history. This is not the first time, not the fourth or fifth time now, that they've had a coordinator involved with getting a new job before the end of the season, end of the playoffs, uh, a new head coaching job. And it's gone. It's kind of been mixed results. Um, uh, I don't know if it's a pattern or not, but the guys who are offensive coordinators haven't won in the games, uh, the championship games after taking a new job and the defensive guys, Kirby smart, uh, Jeremy Pruitt, they won championships when they were going to a new job. I, you know, that's just, who knows what that that's a pattern or not, but you know, it didn't work the last time in 18 uh, when and pretty much the whole staff was leaving uh, to go uh, someplace else when they lost to Clemson. So they've had mixed results. I think there's a lot of fear that that kind of stuff could happen again, uh, to, especially the timing of it, taking and, you know, accepting the job the day after the Rose bowl and 10 days ago before the championship game. I mean, it's a, that's a lot to, you know, mentally juggle whether you're you can't completely put that into a box and wait for a week and a half to to take over and do all the Texas stuff. So that's a concern. But yeah, I mean, he's he's done a very good job of designing plays of 
of, you know, I think that was a huge challenge for him when Waddle went down to, to keep uh, Devontae Smith in the, in the position to get open and to, to find areas where he can uh, not be overwhelmed by defenses who are solely searching to, to take him out. Um, the, every game we can, we've noticed, you know, different wrinkles, different plays, different variations of plays that they're putting out there and, and they're putting, you know, a lot on tape for defenses to have to prepare for. So uh, I, I don't think, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of Falcon fans weren't happy with him coming from from the Falcons and the offenses that he had there for two years. But uh, it also helps having great personnel and having, you know, a great canvas with which to work. So I, I think he's people really like him uh, around here. And whether he keeps that legacy um, will probably largely depend on how things go in, in Miami Gardens. So is this the best Alabama offense? Is this Saban's best offense? Is that I'm sure again, I'm sure this kind of yeah. discussion when you roll through a season, this is the kind of thing that happens. Um, but and and you know, we've sort of been wondering up here the the Joe Burrow, LSU, Jamar Chase, Clyde Edwards Alaire, Justin Jefferson offense w- was obviously everybody knew, I think, how explosive that was, and that's what LSU was all about a year ago. Like I like is is that the realm that we're talking about with this Alabama kind of offense? But at the very least, is it Saban's best? Yeah, I mean, especially if you had Waddle in there, it definitely is. Um, it's, I mean, they've put up numbers. They put up crazy numbers. They, Mac Jones has the most passing yards in a, in a season. Uh, I think they're pretty much all right there testing the the season records uh, for Alabama with Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, and they haven't played the number of games. Uh, you know, fifteen game seasons for some of these guys. So they're only on. I know for Ohio State, uh, twelve games. Uh, and- no record, no season records getting set at Ohio State yeah. this season. So uh, they're doing it with the with the fewer with fewer opportunities, and um, so yeah, I mean it's it's tough to say that I like Mac Jones. Uh, he's a good guy. I've known him since he first got here. I don't know if he's on the Joe Burrow status in terms of the the ability to to do what he did those final few games of the season last year, where Joe Burrow was you know in a, on another level on another planet. Uh, with LSU, but uh, it's 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 probably you know the 2018 Alabama offense was pretty outrageous when Tua was really moving and not hurt um, all these receivers. Um, but yeah, it's up there either this year or 2018 is the best offense. So what happened? As you said, maybe Alabama compared to some other top programs was maybe a little slower to embrace this high flying offensive age that we are in. But they're there now. So was was Saban reluctant? Did it just not happen? Were they so good on defense and so good running the ball that they didn't have to be? And like, do, was he like sort of like pulled kicking and screaming into this? Or is he like all in like, yeah, well, now this is the way that you win. And he's just the greatest coach in college football history. And he's going to evolve with the times and do whatever has to be done. How did we get to this point where this is the Alabama offense? Yeah, it was a, it was, you know, it, it took time probably to, to to get to where they are now. I mean, it was it was a matter of getting beat by Ole Miss two years in a row, Hugh Freeze and his you know embrace of the fast break offense, you know, snapping the ball ten seconds after the previous play ends. You know, Auburn beating them uh, in twenty thirteen, close game twenty fourteen. I think that that kind of began the evolution that they needed to, you know, the Johnny Manziel game in 2012 was kind of probably the first real shot across the bow 
to where they realize they have to evolve from, you know, and same as a defensive guy. He's, he came up as a defensive coach. Um, he believes in that. He's kind of, I don't say he's old school, but like he's, it was a defensive first team. That's kind of what they built this program on initially. So, um, but it was kind of thing where you either adapt or survive and adapt or die. And they, they, you know, hired Lynn Kiffin, um, a marriage that nobody ever thought would ever happen. And, you know, lasted for almost three seasons. Um, but he, it's, he's had forward thinking offensive coordinators since then to try to take this, you know, to the next level. And they recruited the kind of guys that you need for this, this offense where it's not AJ McCarron, it's not John Parker Wilson and Greg McElroy. It's, you know, to a, um, I mean, Mac Jones, probably a little bit more of a more traditional McElroy McCarron type quarterback uh, than some of these, but Bryce Young, the five-star that they have uh, as a true freshman who would be, you know, as the heir apparent is more of a open it up, can run, can throw, can run on the pass, you know? So it's, it's, it's a combination of things and it wasn't um, overnight, but once, once they got to it, once they determined that's what they were going to do, I think that was, you know, they, they didn't look back. All right. So everybody thinks the Alabama offense is great. I don't, and nobody thinks Ohio state's going to stop Alabama. Um, can you slow down in Alabama enough for Justin Fields and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to have a chance to try to outscore Alabama, I think is what every Ohio State fan is thinking. So we don't have to spend as much time on the defense, but is the Alabama defense vulnerable? I remember we talked in the offseason about just sort of like maybe some of the individual talent on this defense. And I think maybe it was like, well, they have some guys, but also they maybe have some question marks. We know Patrick Sertain is probably as good as any corner in the country. Is it vulnerable? Like, or, or, are there moments here where it's like, all right, well, old, you know, they gave up some points to Ole Miss early, and yeah, Trask got him a little bit late, but Alabama was kind of always in control of that game. Or is, or are Alabama fans sitting around watching what Justin Fields did against Clemson and thinking like, oh man, I don't, I don't, we might have some problems with that guy. Yeah, I, I think vulnerable is definitely. It wouldn't be incorrect to say that they're vulnerable. Um, yeah, they've 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 improved at times, you know, they played very well against the bad, bad offenses and they looked great against some of those guys. I mean, all miss, I mean, it was historically bad. They made them, you know, it was the most yards they ever gave up in program history. Um, but yeah, I, I think there are definitely vulnerabilities. Patrick Sertain's the best, you know, considered like one of the top two, if not the best cornerback in the country, but there's still some inexperience at safety. Um, linebackers and Dylan Moses is back this year. He was, you know, one of the best middle linebackers in the country. I think he's had, he hasn't had the season that, that everyone wanted him to have coming off of a, a very major knee injury. So um, not as dominant in the middle. Uh, Christian Harris is the other middle linebacker, a good linebacker, but he had a, a shoulder injury uh, late in the season. So there's a little bit of, there's some banged up guys. LeBron Ray was a very good defensive end who really hasn't been able to play with an elbow injury. So there, there've been some injuries issues. They're not as, up front defensive line for a couple of years there, they had been just maulers up front. And that the last few years, last two years, they haven't had the elite defensive line. Uh, Christian Barmore is a pretty good pass rusher, but he's kind of a specialty pass rusher. Um, so it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a generational defense. It's not, you know, there were a lot of frustrations. Even you could hear it from fans during the game against Notre Dame when they gave up a 15 play drive, took almost eight or more than eight minutes off the clock. Um, there, there's definitely some vulnerabilities there and they've given up some big plays. So it wouldn't be a bad week to consider the over. I'm not sure what Vegas has it at, but um, 
you know, Florida definitely, Alabama wasn't necessarily in complete control of that game. Towards the end, I think they were kind of hanging on defensively. So after seeing what Ohio State did to, to Clemson, I think this is this could be a fun, interesting game. All right, let's out, out with this one. And, and I don't know, it's, sometimes it's hard to get a feel for what the fan base is thinking. I mean, we're not out and about uh, as much as we usually are. Did did people think it was going to be Clemson? Like, is it were people surprised? I mean, I think you know most national most national experts were picking Clemson in that game, and Ohio or Alabama and Clemson have made meeting in the playoffs such a regular occurrence. Um, so, two things: did was there any assumption that it was going to be Clemson, and people were surprised by this? And it felt like here and maybe around the country that it's like Alabama's just unbelievable and who can really hang with them and if that Ohio State if they have their rush rushing attack and their passing attack like this and their defense plays its best game it's like oh well maybe Ohio State has popped up as like yeah there is somebody who can give Alabama a game is there any feeling of that did you was there any idea this season of like yeah man Alabama's just going to roll over everybody and is there has that been any pullback from that because Justin Fields looks so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that the expectation with Clemson, I wrote it the day of the selection show that it's like this inevitability is going to be round five with Alabama Clemson. And that was partially because I, I mean, I hadn't seen a whole lot of Ohio state and what I did see against Northwestern wasn't the most uh, inspiring football game for a team that was coming into the playoffs. So I think probably a little bit surprised to see the way they did it to Clemson that, the teams really haven't been able to truly boat race them like the way Ohio State did. So, yeah, I think there was some surprise. Um, and, yeah, I, it's hard to say exactly how fans are feeling. Um, you know, they're, they they don't want to – they're so big this year, especially the jinx. They don't want to jinx anytime I say anything that they're doing well. They're, I'm jinxing them. So, like, um, I, you know, it's hard to say how what, what their confidence meter, where that needle is on the scale of – they're going to win. They're going to lose. But I think, you know, I can be convinced of any scenario at this point. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not writing in, in ink Alabama's national championship team 2020. I think that Ohio State definitely showed that they had what they what it takes to to beat this Alabama team. And they've done the things, you know, Trey Sermon adding that running attack. Uh, the, obviously, the passing offense, when it's clicking, it's clicking. So, I wouldn't, I'm not taking Alabama. I'm not betting Alabama seven and a half points if I have that money. Um, so, okay. Hard to say. Okay. Shootout close, close shootout. Sounds like where you are, which I think is where a lot of people probably are going to land. Yeah. Yeah. So, my whole theory of the season was angry Bama. Have they been angry? Did it reset anything that they fought, that they did not make the playoff last year for the first time? That somebody popped up and got them. You know, and then Tua was hurt and that kind of thing. But did you, was there anything different this year? Because we've been talking about like, man, if Ohio State ever really got to the Bama part where it's like you just you're, you're you really think you're supposed to win every single year. What's that like? I, I, I just have been curious about. Did you see any different? I don't know. Edge to them because last year didn't go as every other year had gone. Kind of. It probably would have been like that in a normal year, but this year has been so it's been so weird for everybody. Like, and, and we have, it's harder to be around, you know, we're not around the team as much to kind of get that pulse of like what the feel is on the ground that, you know, we're, we're talking to them just like I'm talking to you right now through, you know, through a computer screen. So it's, it's harder to get that true like pulse of what's going on, but I'm sure that's in their mind. Um, 
you know, playing in Orlando and the, the cap or whatever, the Citrus Bowl wasn't, you know, it was a major step down for, for them. And um, I'm sure, I, mean, I know it made them mad and they didn't want to be seen as that. So especially to have like a divisional rival rise up and win a championship the way LSU did, I think they were pretty, they were very fired up, you know, situationally in those games. Like they wanted to, they wanted to rip LSU's head off. They were uh, pretty upset about how things went last year with them. So that was, that was pretty big, but I think it's, it's been just kind of trying to get through the season. I think it's, 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 there's, there's not enough emotional energy to be too angry about something that seems like it was five years ago, just last January or whatever. So I'm sure it's part of it. All right. So how many stories are you guys putting up a day at AL.com? Cause everybody listening to this, who cares about what's going on at Alabama needs to be reading AL.com. What do you got? Like, like eight, 10, what depends? 30. Yeah. I mean, today would be a heavy day with the Heisman coming up. Tuesday is a busy day with the Heisman. Then the next couple of days will be a lot of uh, interviews over the Zoom. So it, it'll be it'll be a steady stream. There won't be there won't be too much downtime. Well, hefty bonus in your paycheck, Michael, as usual. <laughs> You're a championship writer for a championship team. So I mean it's you know, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Michael Casagrande, I I I told him we were gonna do it at a certain time, and then I I called him an hour earlier because I forgot Central and Eastern and my brain is not functioning very well. But what a good guy. Here he is breaking it down, Alabama, for Ohio State listeners here on Buckeye Talk. So, Michael, uh, good to talk to you over computer. And uh, good. I'm not going to the game. You are. Good luck down there in Miami, and thanks for the time. Yeah, look forward to seeing you again. I'm sure Ohio State and Alabama will cross paths um, again in the future, so I'm not worried about that. Well, we got them on the schedule now, man. Oh, you yeah. and I just have to hang yeah. on until they yeah. get to the actual scheduled games in the regular season. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I don't, I don't plan out that far. <laughs> Anyone in this house knows that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks to Michael Casagrande. Make sure you're reading AL.com this week. Make sure you're reading, of course, Ohio State coverage at cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text 614-350-3315. Drop a review. I haven't read the reviews lately. Sometimes I'll tell you. Sometimes I'm in the mood to read what people think about me, and sometimes I'm not. And it depends how much I think people can hurt my feelings. So I haven't read them. I'm a little light on sleep. I haven't read the reviews lately, so I don't know what's out there. But you could, good or bad, drop them in there. We appreciate it. Thanks to you guys for listening. We'll be back. So the interviews are coming. Interviews with Ohio State and Alabama players and coaches on Wednesday and Thursday. So that means the Thursday morning pod and the Friday morning pod will be us reacting to what we heard, what we learned, right? So that's going to be some good stuff. Make sure you're listening to those, and then we'll get to our picks and preview pod at the end of the week. But for now, thanks again to Michael Casagrande. On behalf of Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.